Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. Today, we're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry, along with some of our own considerations. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, please enjoy today's program. The word gospel means glad tidings or good news. Isaiah chapter 40 declares, Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, who brings glad tidings. Lift up your voice with power. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. As if to serve God on a fine platter to mankind, Isaiah 40 is truly a deep and profound presentation of the real glad tidings. Stay with us today as we examine one of the truly great and profound chapters in all of Scripture on this Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, a program furnished by Living Stream Ministry. Today we come to the prophet Isaiah and chapter 40 and a message given by Witness Lee in 1991 as he was conducting his life study of Isaiah. Ron Kangas has joined us once again. Ron, this is just another of these life studies that I'm really looking forward to. Isaiah 40 is quite a chapter, isn't it? It is very deep, uh, mysterious, rich in revelation, all-inclusive, in the presentation of the gospel. I'm very happy to participate in this particular program. Ron, all four of the New Testament gospels opens with a reference to Isaiah chapter 40 with this prophetic word in verse 3, where Isaiah ushers in John the Baptist as the forerunner of Christ. The voice of one who cries in the wilderness, make clear the way of Jehovah, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Ron, why did the New Testament coming of Christ need a forerunner? Uh, there are two aspects to this. One is the objective and historical aspect. The other is the subjective experiential aspect of the believers and their response to the gospel and their receiving the Lord into them. The coming of the Lord Jesus was a tremendously significant turning of the age. The age of the Old Covenant was about to end. When the Lord began his ministry, he began declaring the gospel of the kingdom. So a new age was about to begin. God's people needed to be prepared for such a turn and be prepared to receive the promised Messiah, who would turn out to be the Son of God incarnated, the Christ. So John the Baptist proclaimed repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He said, I am not the coming one. I am not worthy to untie a sandal. I am a voice in the wilderness preparing the way for him to come. Then on the personal side, 
the experiential side in the New Testament. God in Christ wants to come to us. Furthermore, he wants to enter into us. And the place where he seeks to dwell is our human spirit, once regenerated by the divine spirit. But in order to reach our spirit, there needs to be a preparation, and that preparation is of the human heart. So we may apply the kind of physical language used in the prophecy and used in the Gospels, making straight the paths, opening a way for the Lord to come. Well, the sanctifying spirit needs to do a work in our heart to enlighten us, to grace us, that we may turn to the Lord. And without this way being prepared, the Lord cannot enter into and pass through our heart into our spirit. So these are a brief way of understanding the necessity of John the Baptist's ministry preparing the way of the Lord. Let's join Witness Lee with the first section of our program today. Chapter 40 is nearly the hardest chapter in this book. But Isaiah, in his kind inspiration, wrote this chapter in a marvelous way with a definite prophecy on John the Baptist. So Isaiah is here, rebuking, rebuking, rebuking for 35 chapters, just rebuking. But from 40, verse 1, the tone of Isaiah altogether changed. No more rebuking, no more condemnation, but the word of Jehovah. And the beginning of the word of Jehovah is just great tidings. And the great tidings is nothing but God is here. Behold, your God, he is here. As long as God is here, this is a great tidings. We know God had never come to man that much as when Jesus came. Not just like he came to Abraham in Genesis 18 as an incarnated one. And who was the one incarnated? God himself. And that was God's coming to man and to become a man and to participate man's humanity, even to partake of man's blood and flesh. Well, for that kind of coming, there was a foreigner who ushered God to his people. Who was a foreigner? John the Baptist. Well, John's introduction was prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 40. That is verses 3 and 4. Jesus was ushered in by a voice of the one, that's John the Baptist, crying, not weeping, but shouting in the wilderness. In verse 3 it says, Make clear the way of Jehovah. All these are parables. 
what is the way? To prepare the way is to prepare your heart. Jesus comes and he comes with the intention to get into you. Where? To get into your spirit. But to enter your spirit, Jesus must pass through your heart. And your heart is composed of four parts. The mind, the emotion, the will, and the conscience. Do you know human heart is all together full of valleys, full of mountains, full of hills? Then what is the way? The way is a paved heart. How about your heart? Straight, paved, without valley, without coke places, without rock places, without mountain hill. Think about it. This is the crying word by the foreigner John the Baptist to bring in, to usher in the Savior. That is the very God revealed. Jesus was there as God revealed him. Well, Ron, this chapter is really focused on the coming of God to man as a man. Uh, He just made reference to Genesis chapter 18, and that's a chapter where God appeared as a man to Abraham. They sat down together, even had a nice talk. It was really a lovely picture. But how about Christ's incarnation, his coming in the New Testament, and how fundamentally different that was from this record in Genesis 18? In Genesis 18, we have God and two angels appearing in the form of human beings. That's what the record is saying. When Abraham saw them, he saw three men. That was a temporary and rather unusual appearing of the Lord in the form of a human being. That is intrinsically different from God in Christ through incarnation, becoming a human being, possessing the human life and the human nature, which is mingled with the divine life and the divine nature in one person to bring forth the God-man, Jesus the God-man, the complete God and a perfect man in one person. Then from the point of his birth, there's his development, described briefly in Luke. Then we have a record of his ministering as this God-man, eventually dying on the cross as the God-man. All of this was made possible because instead of a temporary manifestation in human form, there was a permanent entering into humanity and mingling with humanity through incarnation to bring forth Jesus, Jehovah the Savior, the God-man. That is the intrinsic difference here. Ron, that was really a helpful word. Chapter 40 begins with the glad tidings, which as we now know means the gospel which is really the revealing of Christ to mankind. But this chapter has more to reveal. 
especially the state of mankind in his weakness and frailty, and comparing that to the abiding Word of God. Let's go back to Witness Lee. Isaiah says, All flesh will wither like the grass, and they will fade away like the flower. All the flesh, all human beings were not lost. Just like First John 2.17 says, the world will pass away. The human beings will pass away, but the word of this one, Jesus, will stand forever. Jesus' word will stand forever. Amen. Jesus still speaking. And his word abide. When we hear his word, we see him. You were saved by hearing his word. Then you will say, Oh, that night I saw Jesus. So I got saved. Have you seen him? Actually, you didn't see him. But you heard his word. His word is just himself. And himself is just Jehovah. And Jehovah is just God. So the word is God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. The word. The word is really something. This is why we, the saved ones, always like to come to the meeting. Why? Because in meeting there is the speaking. The speaking of the Lord, the word of God. When we hear this, we see him. His word will stand forever to 11 people to make you living, to make you alive. You're dead. After listening to his word, you got enlightened. This is true. Enlightened that they may partake of his eternal life for their enjoyment. You heard the gospel and you saw Jesus and you were made alive and you partook of his eternal life for your enjoyment. Peter, in his first book, chapter 1, verses 23 to 25, Peter says, we all have been regenerated by or through the living and abiding word of God. Because we were just grass withering. We were just flowers fading, falling away. Yet, we heard something. That is the living word which brought eternal life into us to regenerate us. We received eternal life for our daily enjoyment. This is the first aspect of this great hiding. Ron, the Word of God can be many different things to us. Surely it can instruct and teach, but of all that it does, I think the most precious must be that it has the capacity to reveal Christ and to give us life. I think many of us could relate to his account here, how we all had a kind of seeing of Christ when we got saved, but actually we didn't have a visible seeing. We had a seeing that was based on hearing our hearing of him and his word. Let's talk about what it means in our experience to 
see Christ and really enter into this Christ-revealing and life-giving aspect of God's Word. Uh, Let's begin this segment by reaffirming that we're not talking about any kind of physical seeing. And actually, neither are we referring to some kind of um, ecstatic or mystical experience. We're talking about a spiritual experience of a divine reality that's altogether inward. Maybe it would help us to bring in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This seeing is an inward, spiritual seeing. And we have other verses which talk about beholding and reflecting the glory of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 3.18, Hebrews 12, looking away unto Jesus, Hebrews 2, we do not yet see all things subject to him, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. This inward seeing is possible because the word of the gospel is a word that brings to us a wonderful, glorious person. And this word in its nature is spirit and life. This word testifies concerning Christ himself. And to be more definite and exact, this word is Christ himself who is called the word. And the word became flesh. So to kind of bring this together, we're talking about the capacity of our enlightened heart and our regenerated spirit with its functions to have an inward realization, an inward seeing of this wonderful person who has entered into us. We need to realize that when we believed into Christ, the Son of God, we received him. That's John 1, 12 and 13. We received the person. Christ is in us. Christ is making his home in our heart. We are one spirit with him. In all these matters, there is a spiritual seeing based upon the living word of God. Well, Ron, we all need this kind of seeing of him and this kind of hearing of him, not physically or materially, but genuinely in the spirit and always as a function or a result of our contact with him as the word. You mentioned verse 5, Ron. I want to read that verse because it makes this point so well. Then the glory of Jehovah will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, because the mouth of Jehovah has spoken. Let's go back to Witness Lee for our concluding word today. To preach Christ, you have to preach to such extent, making people know that they are just vanity. Less than nothing. Emptiness. The more they realize they are nothing, they are empty, they are just vanity, the more they appreciate Christ. The more they will be filled up with Christ. They will just treasure Christ. Only Christ is the excellent one. Needless to say, to know him, even to have the knowledge about him, that knowledge 
is excellent. Okay, the last aspect. That is empowering and strengthening those who wait on him. Paul did say, be empowered in the Lord and in the might of his strength. He also declared, I can do all things in the one who empowers me. Christ really is the empowering one. So we who wait on him will never be faint nor weary. We will be like an eagle with the wings to soar up, to mount up. This is the kind of language in the Old Testament describing those who trust in Jesus. Then in the New Testament, you have the New Testament expression. We have been regenerated, we have been fed to know Jesus, to know him as the Holy One, as the eternal God, Jehovah, as the creator of heaven and earth. He is unlimited, he is unsearchable, he is incomparable, he is high. But how about me? Me? Me just a drop water. Some specks of the dust. Even nothing. Even less than nothing. I'm the vanity. I'm the emptiness. To know Christ that way. To know myself this way. Now I'm qualified to wait on him. I have nothing. He's everything. So I don't have any trust in myself. I put my trust in him. I wait on him. He will gave me the wings that I can mount up, showing up to run the course of the Christian life without any beat of being faint, worried. No. Ron, this is just a marvelous word. The glad tidings, the gospel uh, revealed early on in this chapter. But the end of this chapter is just as striking. We have this uh, great poetic language that Isaiah often uses. Those who wait on Jehovah will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and will not faint. They will walk and will not become weary. Which, as we just heard, is equivalent in its intrinsic meaning to Paul's language in Philippians and Ephesians. Rana, it seems this whole chapter crystallizes not just the gospel of salvation, but in a real sense, the progression of our Christian life. After hearing the glad tidings and opening to receive Christ, we then begin a journey of realizing both how frail and empty we are without him, and day by day how marvelous he is, and how much more he is in the midst of our weakness and vanity. There's a secret here, isn't there, Ron, as to what it really means to mount up with wings like eagles. In chapter 40 of Isaiah, there's a twofold matter that deserves our attention. Of course, we're continuing to see the wonderful Christ and what he is to us and how he wants to give himself to us in our actual experience of him. At the same time, we need to see something concerning ourself, something that has a drastic and permanent effect on us. So God, through the prophet, says things such as, we're no more than a drop from a bucket. We're nothing more than a speck of dust on God's scale. Even more, we're told, 
were nothing and less than nothing. Only those who have this twofold realization will enter into the experience in the verse that we just quoted. They will realize they have nothing, they are nothing. In relation to God, they have nothing to contribute. They need the all-inclusive Christ in resurrection as their life, as their life supply. So they learn to wait upon the Lord. And that waiting implies that you're not doing anything. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can contribute. If we realize we're nothing, then we should do nothing. But wait. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Well, this word renew has New Testament echoes like in 2 Corinthians 4. Our outer man is being consumed. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. Romans 12, we're transformed by the renewing of the mind. So we renew our strength because now, instead of our natural strength and energy, the resurrected Christ is our strength. Then we experience him as the eagle with his eagle wings, soaring transcendently above everything earthly, everything that can hold us down. So we will run and not be weary. We will walk and not faint. Only the divine life, only the resurrection life of Christ never faints. Only this life is never weary. So when we put these two together, to see in the light of the New Testament revelation, especially in Paul's epistles, that the all-inclusive Christ, as the life-giving Spirit, wants to come to us to be our life, our life supply, our strength, our energy, our power, our endurance, everything we need on our part. We need to have a deep realization of our actual situation. Then we will stop our natural effort and wait upon the Lord, and we will experience Him as the eagle, and we will rise up on eagle's wings. This is not a theory, and this is not merely an exposition of a Bible verse. We'd like to let our listeners know this is our testimony. This is an experiential reality that's available to all those who believe in the Lord love him, seek him, and are willing to open their being to him. Well, Ron, that's wonderful. Sadly, we're out of time today. I just will mention this. We always do our toll-free number, which is 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788 if you have questions or comments. Or you can send email to us, radio at lsm.org. We hope you'll join us next time. For Ron Kangas, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening today. You've been listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry publisher and distributor of the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. If you'd like to contact us, just email radio at lsm.org or call us toll-free at 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. 
That's 1-888-543-3788. Thanks for listening.